That's what we're going to call ourselves to worship with today. Would you stand as we sing? What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Sing it again. What a mighty God we Majestic is your name. Let's sing together, oh Lord. <clears throat> oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Peace, mighty God, oh, Lord. 
Good morning, Brinesburg. It is good to see you on this Sunday morning. Glad to have you here. And again, we do have a reason to celebrate and to rejoice this morning because we have a risen Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. And so we come together this morning to lift up His name. Those of you joining us through television or through Facebook Live, I'm Brother Brad Walker. I'm the pastor here at Brinesburg, and it's so glad to have you with us. And uh, for those of you on Facebook Live, if you will, there in the comment section, just uh, put your name there so we know that you're with us today. And so glad to have you. If you have any prayer requests, let us know that as well. And for those of you, this may be your first opportunity to be with us here at Brinesburg. We want to welcome you this morning as well. And you'll notice there in the pew in front of you, there's a card. If you'll fill that out and then place it in the offering plate there on the large table in the foyer as you're leaving this morning, we appreciate that. Let's us know of your attendance and how we might minister to you and your, and your family. And so glad to have you this morning. Uh, we do have one card of thanks, and this comes uh, from the East Marshall Baptist Church. Of course, we helped uh, to do some of the work this week there on their garage building. And it says, uh, this is one of those times when words seem inadequate in expressing our deepest gratitude during the challenging time. It is our most sincere prayer that you find blessing through your generosity and assistance in the rebuilding of our storage building. Your generosity will always be remembered. Remembered. May the gracious God we serve bring a manifold blessing to the church at Brinesburg. And that, again, is from East Marshall Baptist Church. And appreciate so many of you who had a part in that. Of course, we were able to get the concrete slab for them and, and also help with some of the material costs. And so uh, thank you so much for your assistance in that ministry. Uh, also, one item that's not in your bulletin. Uh, the ladies are planning on going October the 7th through the 9th to the uh, Women of Joy Conference. Uh, going, again, that's October 7th through the 9th, and that's going to be in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And so uh, Tina told me to let any lady that would be interested uh, to just let Tina know uh, that you'd like to go. And the cost is going to be $109 uh, for the conference. And then the hotel cost, of course, will be split up four different ways because they'll have four in each room. Uh, but if you'd be interested in that, it'll be in the bulletin next week. But she just got this information, so she wanted you to get it on your calendar. October the 7th through the 9th in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, uh, the Women of Joy Conference. And so, again, if you have any other questions about that, you can see uh, Tina Downing about that. Uh, a lot going on right now. Uh, this Saturday, uh, beginning at 8 o'clock, we're going to have breakfast over in the activities building, and then we're going to have a, a cleanup day here at the church, a lot of different things that we're going to try to get done uh, on our church property on Saturday. And so if you want to be a part of that, we invite you to come. Even if you can only be here for an hour or two or three, uh, we're just looking to get as much done as we can on Saturday. And again, we'll have breakfast and have a great time of fellowship as uh, we work together on Saturday. And then uh, very excited about our uh, spring revival coming up starting on Sunday, next Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Larry Purcell. And if you've not known, uh, you should have heard uh, Brother Larry. He was here for a homecoming. Uh, but uh, if you haven't heard him in a while, just uh, you're going to enjoy uh, Dr. Purcell, just a great preacher of the word and a great evangelist, a great communicator to the lost. And so I hope that you will be inviting folks to be a part of that. And so we've got special things going on throughout the week. Uh, Sunday night will be our youth night. And, of course, that'll be at 5 o'clock. And then uh, 6 o'clock on Monday night will be our churchwide fellowship. So always a good time to invite folks. And then Wednesday night at 6 o'clock we'll be having our children's fellowship time. Uh, but uh, just looking forward to a great week. Uh, Monday through Wednesday, 7 o'clock services. So plenty of time for you to get family and friends here. And uh, we're praying for a great week and for the Lord to move in a powerful way during that time together. 
Um, also, our Disciple Now weekend for our teenagers, uh, 6th through 12th grade, that'll be March the 25th, 26th, and they'll be coming home on uh, Sunday the 27th, and so hopefully they can be plugged into that, and that's going to be a, a wonderful weekend together. So um, a lot going on. I hope that you are looking at your bulletin and see those things that pertain to you and to your family. Uh, this week has been the week of prayer for North American missions, and of course we're thinking about uh, the Annie Armstrong offering for North American missions and uh, all the different ways that our missionaries are impacting folks throughout North America, uh, specifically groups of people that are sometimes harder to reach. And so this morning, I want you to see just a little bit of, of what we're praying about and uh, how we're giving and how that's impacting folks all throughout North America. We live in a Christian nation. Amen. And one of the wonderful things about being a Southern Baptist is the cooperative efforts that we have together, that we can do more together than we can do apart. And so as we pray for our missionaries and as we give towards this work, we know the Lord takes all of that and he multiplies it and we're able to reach more people um, from our own backyard and all the way throughout North America. And uh, the, Lord, the Lord's going to use us in a, in a very specific way to reach somebody maybe that uh, we know, maybe somebody that we won't meet until glory. Uh, but he's going to use those dollars that we give and those prayers that we are uh, spending time on our knees uh, lifting up. He's going to use that in a powerful way. And so this morning, uh, let's pray for these efforts. Let's pray for these missionaries and for uh, the opportunity we have to join them uh, through this offering at this time of year. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we are so thankful to come and to be able to worship, to be able to lift up our voices to you, to be able to lift up our hearts to you. And uh, Lord, right now, as we think specifically about uh, missions and North American missions and what it means to uh, plant churches, what it means to share with hard-to-reach people groups, Lord, uh, we're so thankful that uh, it's not just up to our one church body, but Lord, that as Cooperative Southern Baptist, Lord, that we come together and we're able to send out missionaries both near and far uh, throughout North America uh, to reach people groups that would be difficult for us to reach. Uh, and Lord, also for, for some of our folks to be able to go and, and reach people that uh, others would be, be hard-pressed to reach. And so, Lord, together we recognize that uh, we're making an impact on lostness. Lord, that we're, we're being obedient to the call of the Great Commission uh, to go. And as we are going, to share this gospel message, to plant churches, to share with individuals. And so, Lord, stir our hearts of how we can uh, better be used by you. Uh, Lord, how we can go, how we can give, how we can pray. And Lord, in all of that together, Lord, that the lost would be saved and that the church would grow power powerfully to reach this, this whole community and state and nation uh, for your name and for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. This morning as we come to the altar for this opening time of prayer, uh, I know that any particular week, but maybe specifically this week, uh, can be very difficult and can bring a lot of uh, different hardships and concerns to any one of our lives or the life of our family. And so we come here at the beginning of our time of worship together uh, to spend some time in prayer and lifting up those needs, things that are bigger than us, but they're not bigger than our God, and trusting Him with them. And so whatever the need may be, maybe you're praying for a, a lost loved one or friend, maybe it's a uh, financial issue, maybe it's a diagnosis from the doctor this week, um, maybe it's some other issue, uh, but we come to this altar, maybe you use that pew in front of you as an altar, maybe they're at home, the couch or the chair that you're at, you, you use that as your altar, but that we spend some time, just us and the Lord, and giving him all the burden, all the concern that, that's too heavy for us, and trusting him with it today. So with every head bowed and with all eyes closed, if you'd like to come forward this morning, the altar is open at this time, let's spend time with our Lord in prayer.
who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh, he makes a way when there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. There ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 And let my Jesus change your life. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Nadia. And it is the name of Jesus that we proclaim. It's not our good works. It's not our religious deeds. Uh, none of that is going to save. None of that will change hearts. None of that will change lives. It's only Jesus. And so that's the one we want to tell the world about. This morning, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. If you'll turn there with me. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, just looking at verses 21 through 23 this morning and focusing on the fact that heaven will not be everyone's home. And that's a sobering thought, it's a sobering fact, but it's one that we need to understand today. It's one that you need to understand, especially if you don't yet have a relationship with Christ. If you're trusting religious deeds, if you're trusting good works, uh, you need to understand that you have to have a relationship with Christ. And for those of us who do have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that for our family and with our friends who don't yet have that relationship, no matter if they're religious people or good people in the eyes of the world, that heaven will not be everyone's home. It's only the home for those of us who know Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we enter into the Word of God together this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I thank you. It's been a great day. It's been a great day of, of worship to be able to, to sing and to lift up our, our voices with all that we have, lift our hearts to you, and you are worthy of that kind of worship today. Uh, Lord, you're, you're worthy because of, of what you have done on the cross of Calvary in our stead, Lord. And, and Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we thank you for the way that you take care of our every need. Uh, Lord, for the fact that for many of us who have come into this place heavy-hearted, with many burdens upon our hearts, Lord, you're the one who can take those from us. And I, I know that you desire to do that today. And Lord, as we focus this morning on a passage of Scripture that really opens our eyes, especially for uh, people who may view themselves as religious, uh, but Lord, they don't have a relationship. Lord, I pray that you would open hearts and open eyes today to recognize that the most important thing that we can understand is that nothing, nothing will save us other than a relationship with you. A relationship, a personal love relationship. It's not enough that we know your name. It's not enough that we know what you did. We must have trusted by faith. We must have repented of sin and trusted in you and have a relationship with you. Or it's all for naught. 
And so, Lord, help us to recognize again today with certainty that heaven will not be everyone's home. But I pray before we leave this place that it will be all of our homes because we have a love relationship with you. We know you personally. And, Lord, we have trusted in you. And so, Lord, do the work that only you can do. As a preacher, I can only go so far. I can only deliver a message. But, Lord, the Holy Spirit himself can change hearts. And that's what I pray for today. And so, with that in mind, again today, Lord, hide me behind the cross that only you would be seen and only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, um, but it's become rather difficult to turn on the news and to see what's going on in our world today, isn't it? Um, We live in a broken world. And over the last couple of weeks, over the last three weeks, that's become so, so evident. And with with all of the, the talk about war, with all the talk about gas prices, I'm tired of hearing about gas prices, um, with all the talk about what might happen here and what, you know, what inflation's going to be and, and all these things that have just burdened us so much, all these things that have been laid upon our hearts and our minds, it might be strange for you to hear me say that we still live in a world that is heavenly minded. Now, what do I mean by that? That strange statement, I I would say that because in a recent poll that was taken, it was discovered that 81% of people asked if they believed in a literal heaven said yes. That they believed in a literal heaven after death on this earth. That they would go to a literal heaven. 81%. Now that seems kind of high, doesn't it? Seems kind of high to me too. And, and 61% of that 81% polled said that they believed that they would go to heaven immediately when they died. So I guess there's 20% there that know they're going to hell. Um, but 61% said they believed that they would go to heaven immediately a- after death. 88% believed that they would see departed family members when they arrive in heaven. Um, but those numbers astonish us. They astonish us because we live in a wicked world we live in a wicked society we look around us and we see what people are doing and what they are talking about and what they're involved in and it's wicked and and of course when we understand that we understand that there's another side of of these numbers there's another side to this story and of those polled six percent believed heaven would be reached by doing good works if i'm just doing enough good things then I'll get to heaven. That's how they believed you get to heaven, doing good things, doing good works. Another 57% believed that heaven was available to all those who placed their faith in God, plus doing good works. And 34% believed that heaven was for those who had faith in God alone. Now, here's where the problem begins to be seen. A full 63% of those who responded that they believed that they were going to heaven cited the wrong reason for getting there. I believe I'm going to heaven, but they have no clue of the way to get there. And then the other 34% who believed that heaven came to those who placed their faith in God, they may too be wrong because they didn't define what God they're talking about. And we know that many people are trusting in a lot of different things other than the Lord Jesus Christ, referring to those things as God. And so I want you to know this morning 
that not everyone is going to heaven when they die. And that's hard for us to hear. But that's the truth that is given to us in Scripture, that not everyone is going to heaven when they die. And I know we want to believe that, that everyone does go to heaven. Back when I was a kid, you had that, that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's not true either. And not every person goes to heaven. Not everyone who thinks that they're going to heaven will be there after death. In what is without question the most important area of a person's life, most people are sincerely wrong concerning what they believe about salvation. As Jesus drew near here to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he takes the time to remind men of the seriousness of their salvation, of getting it right. He wanted all who heard him to be sure that they were genuinely converted, that they had a true love relationship with Christ. And that's my desire for you this morning. I don't want you to have your name on a roll and be lost and going to hell. I don't want you to be a good religious person and be lost and going to hell. I want you to have a personal love relationship with Christ and for it to be real and for it to be active and for it to be growing. It's my prayer that you will allow the Spirit of God this morning to speak to your heart it may be that there are some here this morning who have never truly been saved. I believe that that's almost certainly the case. But some of you here this morning don't yet have a true personal relationship with Christ. And perhaps this is the day when you need to meet Jesus. You need to begin that relationship today. You need to begin knowing him as your Savior and as your Lord. Maybe there are those who think that they're saved this morning. But in truth, as we study this morning, you're going to realize you're not. You're going to realize you're trusting in a lot of things, but not Christ. And I pray that God will speak to your heart about that today, that you'll get that straight today. Perhaps there are those who know that you've never been converted. There's no better time than today to get that taken care of and to never, ever have to worry about it again, to just begin to be able to grow in relationship with the one who loves you and died for your sins. And so with that in mind, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word and listen to what Jesus says here. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, we come to verse 21, and we see a startling communication here. Jesus makes one of the most startling statements in all of Scripture. He says that not everyone who claims him as Lord will be saved. He is telling us that there will be some people who think that they are saved, but who in fact are still lost and headed to hell. He tells us it's not enough to just speak his name, to not just confess his name with the mouth, that there's more to it than that. Jesus makes it clear that not all who profess him possess him. There's a difference between those who will profess him with the mouth and those who would 
possess him within their hearts? Who would have made him Lord and Savior and, and the Holy Spirit indwell them? A mere profession of Jesus as Savior is not enough. Salvation only comes when a sinner repents of their sin, professes with the mouth, but also believes in their heart that he is their Lord. A person may believe in the doctrines of the faith. They may be sincere and good. However, merely saying that you know Jesus is not enough to save your soul. Belonging to the church, being a good person, doing religious things, those are good things. But none of them will save your soul. Salvation only comes through a new birth. Jesus had a, had a great big long conversation with Nicodemus trying to explain this to him. One night when he had an encounter with Christ. Nicodemus had these same questions. What now? But I'm, I'm so religious and, and I've done so many good things and I'm a leader of, of, of the Jews. But you're saying I, there, there's more to it? And Jesus says, yes, you must be born again. You must have a personal love relationship with Christ. I think it's clear that Jesus is telling us that there will be some who will think that they're saved and in reality that they have been deceived. Now, why would we believe this? Because the Bible says such about the matter. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. We see in Matthew 13, it speaks of the parable of the wheat and the tares, and Jesus basically says that they will grow up together, and only at the end will you be able to tell who the true believers are. Only in the end would you be able to tell who, what the true wheat was, but to leave it alone, let it grow together, and that God would do the separating. Paul also knew that there would be some in the church who would be fooled by their profession. And he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Simon Peter also mentions this phenomenon in 2 Peter 1:10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. In other words, if you truly have a relationship with Christ, if you've truly been saved, then you will never lose that salvation. But you have to have a true love relationship with Christ. It must be settled. So why is this such a major, major concern throughout Scripture? Because without Jesus, there is no hope of salvation, regardless of how good you think you are, religious, regardless of how religious that you think you are. There is no salvation apart from Christ. There is hope for nothing but hellfire if you are outside of a relationship with Christ. And sadly, there are too many in our day who base their salvation experience on what mom or daddy told them happened. Tell the preacher what happened. Don't you remember, remember what happened? Don't you remember? If they don't remember what happened, it never happened. Don't try to convince somebody they're saved that they're not. If you've had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, you're going to remember it. You're going to know it. Too many are trusting in a time when they had a strange experience. I remember feeling strange one night during revival. I, feel, I remember feeling strange during vacation. Feeling strange is not salvation. What we need to get firmly nailed down this morning is that there are many people who are trusting in a lot of different things. Good works, religious experiences, a fuzzy feeling, 
to get them to heaven. But friends, you better be sure that you're going to heaven because you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That you've repented of your sins and that you have trusted in him and in him alone. Why? Because your eternity depends upon it. Remember, heaven will not be everyone's home. But secondly, in verse 21, we see a simple condition. We see a simple condition. Here Jesus clears up the matter of what brings salvation into a life. He says that people are saved by doing the will of the Father. So does that mean that we are saved by good works? Of course not. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. You're saved by faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. He makes that very, very clear. If we're going to understand this verse, though, we're going to have to find out what the will of the Father is. And according to John chapter 10, verse 40, this is the will of the Father. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again on the last day. So here the Bible makes it clear that salvation comes to those who see the Son and believe in Him. That they don't look to anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the bottom line, salvation is by pure faith in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. And if, if you can come to the place where you're trusting nothing but the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, that, my friend, is biblical salvation. If you've trusted nothing but Jesus, if when asked why should you be allowed into heaven, if you can claim the blood of Christ, because you recognize there's nothing in you worthy of salvation. That it's only by the blood of Jesus, I trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, then you've got it settled. You've got it settled. It's stated as simple as possible in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Brinesburg, God has made salvation so easy to receive that he is able to invite anyone who thirsts to come to him for salvation and receive that living water. It really is that simple. It's not complicated. Salvation is simple. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Pretty simple. Not hard to understand. So where's your faith this morning? It better be in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone because heaven will not be everyone's home. But thirdly, look with me at verse 22. We see a stunned complaint. Look, look at what they say here. When these people hear the requirement here for salvation... That they begin to recount all of the things that they have done in life. Look what I have done, Jesus. Look what I did for you. Look what I did. Look what I've did. Look what I've done. They had done many pretty impressive things. This is impressive stuff. They had preached the word of God. That's pretty good. They had cast out devils. How many of you have done that? I want you to raise your hand if you cast out a devil. I want to know. Nobody. I was hoping there was somebody I could talk to about that. None of us. That's pretty good. They had done many wonderful works. And they had done them in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? They had professed much with the mouth and with the hands and with the feet. But listen, 
not with a heart. Their heart had not been changed. You see, they were sincere in their works, but they had missed the relationship. They were busy. Does that sound like a lot of us? They were busy. They were doing good stuff in a good name, and they were making a difference in the world. They were so busy working for the Lord that they never took time to get to know him personally. And so these people appealed to their works to save them. Here they stand at the end, and they're appealing to works. They even call him Lord, but they didn't know him. If this verse teaches us anything at all, it teaches us that salvation cannot be produced by works. You will never, ever, ever be saved by your works. I don't care how good you think you are, you ain't that good. You will not be saved by your works. My friends, you cannot do it on your own. You can work, and you can give, and you can visit, and you can preach, and you can teach, and you can go to church, and on, and on, and on. But the truth still remains. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you hear the boasting in the voice of these individuals? Lord, we did this, and Lord, we did this, and Lord, we did this, and we did it for you. We did all of this. We did it. Do you hear the boasting? Lord, if anybody deserves heaven, it's me because of what I've done. How boastful. Their whole claim to heaven rests on what they have done. The focus is on them. It's not on the Lord. It's not on what he has done. May I remind you this morning, your salvation will never be about you. And that's hard for some of us to swallow. It's always about him. It'll never be about what you have accomplished or what you have done. Salvation is all about Jesus and what he did when he went to the cross and when he took the sin of the world on himself on Calvary. Salvation is wholly and completely about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And he will share that glory with no one. Salvation is about the one who suffered, he bled, he died, and he accomplished what a million lifetimes of religious work could never do. The awful suffering that Jesus Christ went through is well documented through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Isaiah 52, 14. As many were astonished at thee, his vintage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And then, of course, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 11. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation, for he is cut off of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. 
because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. But it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put on him the grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Glory, hallelujah, it is about Jesus Christ, it is not about me. It's about him being glorified. And because of all this, I'm glad that I can tell you this morning, it is done. It is done, it is finished. There is nothing for you to do except accept Jesus Christ and his plan for your salvation. It is finished. Your salvation has been purchased in full. It is a gift that only needs to be received. If you have received him and his plan of salvation, then praise the Lord this morning. If not, then you need to realize that heaven will not be everyone's home. And unless you accept him, it will not be yours. One day a king died and his servants spread the unbelievable news all over the palace. He had died of natural causes and if it had been sudden. And so the question was asked, where has he gone? That's, that's what his wisest counselors were asking. Where has he gone? Why to heaven, of course, answered one of them. No, said the other gravely. No. I served the king for many years, and I traveled with him to many places, and he loved to travel. And he would go over every detail of each journey. Every element was planned. Every every minute detail was anticipated. But I have never heard him say a word about traveling to heaven. It is a journey for which I saw him make no preparation in life. And I am quite sure he did not go to heaven. What about you? Have you made preparations through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because listen to me, Brinesburg, I love you too much not to tell you. Heaven will not be everyone's home. But also in verse 23, we see a shocking confession. As those people stood before the Lord, surely they were shocked at what they had already heard. And now they're about to hear something that will forever seal their destiny. He says, I never knew you. They had claimed to be working in his name. They had claimed that they knew him. They had professed a relationship, but Jesus tells the truth. He tells them that at no time in their lives had they ever known him, and he had never known them. Of course, Jesus is God, and so because Jesus is God, he knows everything. He knew who they were. He knew their hearts. What he means here is that he had never known them through a personal relationship because they had never allowed that. These people had never been saved. There are those who feel this passage is speaking of backsliders and they, they want to say that, that they had once been saved but now for whatever reason they had done something awful and, and so they were lost again. Of course, Jesus says that he never, he, sa- he didn't say I used to, he says I never knew them. So if, if he had ever known them, then he could not have said that he never knew them. Clearly what he is saying here is there was never a time when there was a relationship. This isn't something where they had slipped away. He says, there was never a time when they were apart. They were never part of the family. I never knew them. These are not backsliders. These are simply religious lost people. 
And listen to me, sadly, there are millions of them today in every single church in America. There are religious lost people. And I'm convinced of that, as was Billy Graham during his ministry, that many who appear to be backsliders in the church are really just people who have never been saved in the first place. Listen, we've had a number of of folks that we dearly love here at Brinesburg over just the past few years who have moved from spiritual death to spiritual life after having been on the church rolls for decades because they finally recognized I've been going through the motions and I, and I let everybody think that I was saved but I wasn't and so and eternity is too long to, to risk my salvation on what I've done I need to trust in Christ and they've gotten it right they haven't worried about what people think. They've gotten it right. Praise the Lord. Jesus doesn't take your membership card as admission into heaven. Did you know that? He doesn't care that you're a member of Brinesburg Baptist Church. He really doesn't. He only cares that you have a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. He won't take your religious activity or your good works. He will only accept that you've had a relationship with his son. He only accepts personal relationships with Christ. The whole point of this verse is, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. If Jesus ever knew you, then he still knows you today. Amen? You can't lose that. But if not, if you've never known him, you might be in a crowd of people that there might be some folks like you today. And you need to get it right. If you've never known him, then you need to get it right today. Because heaven will not be everyone's home. Look at the end of verse 23. And we see a sudden condemnation. These lost ones are ordered to leave the presence of the Lord. There is only one place in the universe where men can be free from the manifest presence of God. And that is in the fires of hell. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Listen to me, my friend. We need to remember that there is a vast difference between heaven and hell. Now, heaven's a wonderful place. Heaven is described as a place of endless bliss and eternal glory. I don't have enough time to explain to you how amazing and wonderful that heaven's going to be mostly because Jesus, Jesus is there. I can't wait to get there because that's where Jesus is. I got family members that I li- dearly love and miss. But what I'm looking forward to most is my Jesus. On the other hand, hell is described as unquenchable fire, a place of, of memory and remorse, a place of thirst, a place of misery and pain, a place of frustration and anger, a place of endless separation, a place of undiluted wrath of God. There will be no mercy for anyone in hell because you've had an opportunity for mercy and you pushed it away. It's clear to see that there is no comparison between heaven and hell. So which one do you want to be your eternal home? Because we have the choice between heaven and hell. Because we have the choice between accepting and rejecting Christ. I think these are the saddest words in scripture. I never knew you. Depart from me. Can you imagine hearing those words? I never knew you. Depart from me. These people expected to hear the Lord welcoming them into heaven. 
They had been so sincere in their works. They thought that they were good enough to be saved because they'd done enough. They knew all the catchphrases. They knew all the right religious lingo. Why then will these people hear these words? I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? Because they are basing their hope of salvation on their own works and on their own goodness. Because they had failed to place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. They will go to hell because they chose their way rather than God's way. Because he says to us very clearly, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, regardless of how good, regardless of how religious they may be, no one will come to the Father except by me. Jesus says there is no other way. You will go to hell if you do not come through Christ. I wonder what Jesus will say to you. Will you claim a relationship with him? Because you recognize that there was nothing that you could do to, to earn your salvation. And so you trusted by faith in him. You repented of sin and you trusted in him. Or have you trusted in a lot of other things? Are you saying, but Brother Brad, I've been a member of this church since 1955. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Have you had a relationship with Jesus Christ since 1955? Remember, heaven, it will not be everyone's home. 81% of Americans believe in the existence of a real, literal heaven. Almost that many expect to go there immediately after their death. But will they? Only if they have trusted in Jesus Christ to be their Lord and their Savior. Unless they come to God through Jesus Christ, they will never be saved. So this morning, I want you to know that I do not have the ear of 81% of Americans. I know Facebook is powerful, but I don't believe we're reaching quite that many, are we? I don't, Eric says not this morning. Maybe some mornings, but not today. So I don't have 81% of Americans' ear, but you know whose ear I do have this morning? If you're listening, I have yours. And so if you're listening, I have the responsibility to tell you the truth, don't I? Where you stand in relationship to Christ depends completely upon what you do with Jesus and with the offer of the gospel. He has paid your sin debt in full. On the cross of Calvary, he declared, it is finished. He didn't say it is started. He didn't say if they'll just add a little bit of works, if they'll just add a little bit of membership, if they'll just add a little bit of baptism. He said it is finished. And that means that if you will accept him by faith, that you shall be saved. If you will say, I'm not good enough. I need a relationship with you, Christ. I repent of my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. You take over. You be Lord. You be master. You shall be saved. But some of you are so proudful, prideful, and some of you have such a, uh, a concern about what people think that you're going to sit in a pew again this morning. You're going to say, not today, Brother Brad. Not today. And you're going to play Russian roulette with your eternity. Heaven will not be everyone's home. And that breaks my heart because some of you will not be there. Some of you young people will not be there. Some of you old people won't be there. 
The only ones who will be there is those who have a relationship with Christ. A personal love relationship with Christ. Is that you today? It breaks my heart. Because I know some of you continue to put it off. I beg you. I can't save you. Only the Holy Spirit can change your heart. But I beg you. On behalf of your preacher, your pastor, the one who loves you. Come to him. Make heaven your home for eternity. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And I recognize that there are some folks that need to make decisions. And Lord, I recognize I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't come close. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit himself will do the work that only he can do. And this morning there are hearts that are being convicted of sin. And recognize their need for salvation. And right now I pray that all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, that all of us together right now, that our hearts are convicted for the lost brother, the lost mom, the lost dad, the lost husband or wife, the lost friend. And that we're praying for them right now. Lord, I know who they are in my life. I know who the folks are that I'm burdened for, Lord. You know all of my brothers and sisters and the burdens on their heart for the lost. Lord, if there's one here today that has not yet begun that relationship, I pray that they would because we recognize that that's only, the only way that we're going to be able to call heaven home. And so, Lord, today, stir hearts. Right now, Lord, I, I pray that this, the stirring is happening, the conviction is happening, and I pray that they would truly repent of sin and truly come to you today and experience salvation for eternity. Lord, we love you. Do the work that only you can do. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.